Facebook friend with you and I always like to see where you're at around the world and uh, your Facebook post has been very funny this year but we'll get onto that in a little while but last year with Florence and the Machine tell us about 2019 and the world of Brad Maddox. Well, 2018 and 19 were really busy years for me. Uh, most of that was uh, Florence and Machines tour on on um, her last record, and I think I started that in March of 2018, and, and we did our last show in September of 2019, something like. And then I, I went straight to Sarah Borales. From there, I went straight into some Katy Perry shows, and on March 11th, 2020, I did my last show with Katy Perry. And uh, I've been home ever since. <laughs> oh, like me, me and everyone else, I guess. So um, it was uh, shaping up to be a really busy year this year too. But uh, for obvious reasons, that that didn't happen. Everything got canceled, as we all know. I mean, let's talk about your resume. I mean, I've known you through your Rush connections right. since 1991. I think you've been front of house engineer or working with Rush closely. But you've also, in between, doing those Rush tours, which were quite sporadic at times you've done Def Leppard, Van Halen, Marilyn Manson, Shakira, Jack White you know the list is endless you've uh, you're all you're a man in demand so being stuck in Walnut Creek must be a little bit eerie for this amount of time. I've been lucky to I've had a lot of a uh, good run I was going to be out doing uh, Motley Crue this year with Def Leppard funny enough this is just a weird year I guess it's sort of a, a, a sabbatical for me and I've been blessed to have a career that sort of bounced all over the map from a, um, a style, you know, different styles of female vocalist, pop, rock. I've done Queensryche. I've done Shania Twain. So got to, got to mix sound for a couple presidents, which is a totally different experience. <laughs> <laughs> which presidents did you do? Uh, I did a, uh, Obama. Actually, I've done a few uh, sort of one-off. I mean, there's speeches. It's turn a mic on, make sure it doesn't feedback. It's not that, yeah, it's that pretty odd. critical sound, though, for a president, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, the pressure's on, for sure. I did a thing with Obama. I did a thing with uh, George Bush Jr. I did a couple things with Hillary Clinton when she was Secretary of State. Uh, just what things that passed through California when I was home that I made mean, an entirely different experience. And the thing I did with Obama was he had something he had said something to the russian uh president uh, over an open mic that so it was sort of embarrassing so they were really 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 keen on me shutting the mic off at the right time so i had yeah, i had some uh, somebody from the white house standing next to me to make sure that happened <laughs> You don't have that normally in a, in a concert hall, do you? Um, <laughs> that sort of pressure. Did you? Were you tempted to add a little bit of Crane song or API on the vocals there? Or I did nothing. It was just mute and turn it up. Um, the only thing that was tricky about uh, those is that there's a lot of sort of matrixing going out to translators. Um, the Obama one was. Uh, what was it called? It, it was a meeting of all the Pacific, the heads of state of Japan and and uh, China and all, all sorts of uh, heads of state from the Pacific Rim, Australia and so forth, um, about a trade deal. And so the, the really the critical thing was taking what he was saying and matrixing it out to, I want to say there was 20 translators or so, and then taking those feeds back from the translators and sending them to a uh, a press uh, a whole mess of press feeds down in a, uh, a conference hall down the street 
I mean, it's it's funny. Like, it's not it's not like mixing music at all. It's really more about making sure things are going to the right places. And well, with that amount of outputs going out to different translators, but you could have made a mess of it, Brad, because you know your current <laughs> presence torn up that agreement long time ago. I suppose so, but I did. Uh, I managed to pull it off. It's just a different. I like having it's a different experience those kinds of things getting to do those kinds of well they say that comedians are probably the hardest ones to get right on stage you can't mess that up and for me just like an open mic and a simple pa but apparently not so uh, it makes you realize how fun it is to mix um music (laughs) (laughs) now there's more strings to your bow and in addition to all your your road skills that you've honed for the last 30 plus years you've also got a business in Walnut Creek, Diablo Digital. Tell me more about that and how that's been impacted this year as well. Well, so Diablo Diablo Digital is a company that leases out, rents out um, multi-track recording systems for for live concerts. And we and we tend to, as opposed to showing up and recording a show, we like to at least rent out a system to do the entire tour, so that you can record all the shows on multi-track, and then. Um, uh, it's born out of uh, some frustration we had. Greg Greg Price is my partner, and he's uh, Ozzy Osbourne's engineer, has been for years. Uh, was born out of some frustration we were having with trying to find systems and rent systems on our own. So we basically built our own systems. And we're, we're up to 40-something systems. Um, we're renting out several on the uh, U2 tour, several or a couple on the Rolling Stones and here and there and all over the place. And in March, they all stopped working. <laughs> Just at the same time we stopped working, they stopped working. So we're, uh, we're in state of sort of suspended animation right now. We're kind of paying our rent and not doing much anything else other than uh, trying to stay current. You know, we're researching new packages, new ways of doing this. Uh, Dante is becoming more of a, a thing for us. We're, for, um, we typically rent Pro Tools systems because that's kind of the, that's where the demand is for. But it's always a matter of interfacing with different mixing consoles, whether, whether it's a SSL or a Digico or an Avid or or Yamaha, and um, that's where we customize something for any given tour and and uh, put it out there. Make sure it works, you know, reliably. Well, we never stop learning, Brad. I mean, you've never been, I guess, in, in a perverse way, being blessed with having six months at home like this. I guess you've been able to learn quite a lot in that time. Yeah, it's funny. Um, it's I'm not, so, some of it is you know learning. A lot of it's just sort of reassessment. I mean, I think you, things have been so um busy for the last few years it's, it has been an opportunity to to sort of stop and look and you know, reassess whether we're doing things correctly audio has been figured out for a while now there's nothing like new about it but i think we're, we're, we're trying to freshen up our our approach to uh recording and, and just work on streamlining the experience for users and uh also just you know looking back on some shows that we've done and playing them back and maybe reassessing the techniques we were using, getting, you know, just, it's not so much a learning process, but a, a, a chance to practice in, in a environment where it's not, you know, there's this, the show is going to happen in an hour and you just have to throw it together. It's a high pressure environment. The times I've, I've met you in London, for example, you've, you've got to ingeniously, engineer solution at the drop of a hat like a 50 hertz 60 hertz um appliance that will you know the show won't go on without your divine intervention sometimes you have to think on your feet were you there for when we had to do a the cycle converter for the yes 
we had a, a it was actually a um, prop, but it, it operated at 60 cycles. It was from Canada, I think, originally. And uh, but in Europe, most of the power is 50. And so we had to come and for some reason it did not want to run. It was not handling 50 cycles well. So uh, we it made a cycle converter by using. A, we literally took a phone and put a tone generator app in the phone and set it to a sine wave of 60 hertz and plugged it into a preamp and that from the preamp into the uh, this extra power amp we had, uh, spare power amp we had, and just put a uh, meter on the output and turn the volume of the, on the power amp until we got 120 volts, 60 cycles. And that's, and then we plugged this machine into it. I thought, I, I would love to say that I, in, I came up with that, but I had somewhere in the back of my mind, someone had told me that they'd had to do something like that for a, console power supply that had gone down on them ages and ages ago. I don't even remember where that came from. But you see, It was great that you did remember it, though. That was one of those moments to break the glass in case of an emergency and bring it out. It was, it was inspired in that way, I guess. But, uh, Could have some balls to do that as well. Show must go on. <laughs> well, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. <laughs> I guess you didn't tell the band what happened that night. Oh, it wound up using it for the whole European run funny enough but anyway we had to make sure the phone part was off because if the phone had rung god knows what would have happened i mean prior to you being taken off the katie perry tour i mean two months prior to that i really felt for you brad and my condolences to you and the whole crew because i know you were part of an extended family with the band but neil peart passed away it's almost a prelude yeah, to what's been you. happening in the world in general this year i mean uh, <laughs> how did all the band take that howard particularly he was there from the beginning wasn't he howard was I want to say one of the original members of the entourage. So there's a sort of a, a close in group of people that were aware that, that Neil was ill and I was one of them. So he and his family wanted to keep it out of the public. So everybody respected that. We didn't talk about it unless we happened to get together, but still even, even knowing it when, when I found out he'd passed away, it was, it was a shock to me in a way. I mean, it surprised me. And I sort of knew it was coming, but it, it was still, it was still a rough day. Um, and like you said, sort of the beginning of a very weird year. I, I'm talking about it now. It seems so long ago, um, but really only six or seven months now, right? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. But uh, thank you, and and everybody's. It's nice that everybody expresses that to me and and just that everybody has such a respect for him now i i did as well well there were a band like no other really when you toured him with them you were part of a family i always felt you know i watched that final documentary on the final tour and even that was a bit of a tearjerker really see you know you tell the crew was so badly affected that you knew that la gig was the final gig and not just the band was getting disbanded the whole crew was being dissembled <laughs> and it was never really expressed that that was going to be the last gig, but uh, you sort of felt it, you know, and I guess the, what really drove it home was that was the only time I've ever seen Neil come out from behind the drum kit and come yeah. down. To the <laughs> when that happened, it was like, yeah, that's, that's a sign. Get a um, little shock on station. <laughs> yeah. We all sort of felt like that was the final tour. At one point, they'd even somebody—I don't think the band—somebody had even talked about calling it the 
the farewell tour, but I, I don't think the band was into doing that. But it was a great run with those guys. I mean, it was was a family, and they were, you know, I still stay in touch with with uh, Alex and Getty, and yeah, they they always felt that the whole entourage was friends and family. We had a great time on that. I've been fortunate to be a fly on the wall at a few gigs during what I do now, and um, Rush always felt different. It was it really was a different feel to it completely. You were such a tight knit community and very, you know, welcoming at the same time. You know, it, it, it's just like a well-oiled machine watching you go about. I used to just loved loved watching it take take shape when you came into London or or Newcastle where I met you once. And right, it's a shame that those days have gone now. You know, because it really was of an era. I I don't know that there'll ever be anything quite like that again. It's those it's. It was. It's an anachronism, you know. It's definitely something that was built up through the '70s and '80s and '90s, and there was a handful of people that were there the whole time. There's one person that was there longer than Neil. Um, it would be Liam, the the tour manager. Uh, He's quite a character. <laughs> well, you don't get that really anymore. I mean, I, I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think of, and I'm probably missing something, but I, it's hard to hard to think of very many bands that carried crew with them over multiple decades it really is you pan pick them toe to toe and people fade away and go away and this one stayed together thick and thin i mean you're quite a new boy really you've only been there 30 years i think 25 years well so presto i was on the sound crew i didn't all right okay and um halfway or most most of the way through the through the uh, Roll the Bones tour, I came on to mix because Robert Scoville, who was the engineer, had a conflict and had to go. He, um, he went to do Def Leppard. We actually, I started the Def Leppard tour. He started the Rush tour and then we swapped uh, and I finished the Rush tour. And then I think I went back out with Queensryche after that. But uh, um, yeah, so that was 90. I don't even remember now. Roll the Bones, 97? 91. Not right? oh, really that long ago. Okay. Yeah, well, so, yeah. Queen's Rock had Empire <laughs> at the same time. It was a good musical era. Right. Right. Um, which was another really fun tour, actually. Uh, that was a good run as well. Yeah, I remember Queen's Rock. I saw him in Biloxi in 88. I think they were supporting Def Leppard back then. Um, they were. They were. They opened up for Def Leppard. That's where I first met them. Yeah, really good band. I'm going off the cuff as I always do. I could talk here for hours. Now we've had we make events over here to try and bring the government up, make the government aware there's about a million people going out of work or have been out of work and not receiving any income, and it, it's even bigger in America, isn't it? I mean, a, a larger larger population, I guess. Larger population, bigger. It's just like a twelve trillion dollar a year industry. I don't know. The figures are just humongous. Uh, tell me how yeah. all those that you know around you have, have been affected. I mean, I saw some posts on Facebook you did recently, Brad, of a, a famous Oakland uh, venue that's closed down as well. Uptown is um, a rock club in Oakland. I, that's actually, so I guess it's funny, like we, we've spent our entire lives trying to stay out of the limelight, <laughs> like, you know, stay in the background. And, and now uh, the industry's really struggling. And the thing I'm seeing now just in the news and is a lot of venues are starting to fold. And um, so far, none of the really big ones, but some iconic ones. The Uptown in Oakland was a pretty iconic local 
venue here. And I know there's a lot of layoffs. The promoters are laying off a lot of people and the agencies are laying off a lot of people. So uh, I'm really concerned. I mean, it's, I'd like to think that we'll bounce back, but it's going to be made harder if there's nowhere to do shows. And um, if we have to ramp back up promotion and agencies and, and I know that there are uh, road staff that have moved on to other other jobs um they might come back they might not but then there's there's a, a bunch like myself i'm i have a specific skill and you know <laughs> I, there's nothing I to pivot full. <laughs> i have i can bartend but the bars are also closed so I'm, I'm, they're closed yeah they are here yeah so in in america it's very um the rules are set by from state to state. It's not a, uh, the federal government doesn't have anything to do with what's open and what's closed or very little. Uh, so California where I live there, uh, we're quite strictly locked down. I think they just opened up hair salons, but, uh, yeah, bars are still closed. So, uh, so, so much for my bartending career. Yeah, I mean, it looks promising. You do some great cocktails most days of what you've made that day, and uh, you can make some good tip money. I think once you get back behind a bar and woo the people on the other side of the bar, there'll be no going back on the road for you. You'll. Uh... I may uh, maybe I'll do uh, sound and mixed cocktails. Oh, you're just showing off now. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be doing magic tricks next. No, you can do magic tricks. I know you can. You have to <laughs> perform. Not very good. <laughs> so where the We Make events um, here in the UK, you've had you've had your own We Make events um, on the on the first of September in America. Did you light your, light your house up in red, or did you show any solidarity? Um, we did not light our house up in red. We have uh, we loaned out. We actually have a very a corner of our warehouse that has some lights in it, believe it or not. And we, uh, they're led lights and we, we loaned them out for, for venues locally to light themselves in red. Our government is still on a bit of a, on a recess right now, I think, or maybe just back. And so we'll see, hopefully it has some, uh, some impact. I know we're getting, we're hearing some things back from the government about uh, that they've, they've heard and they understand that, but you know it's it's interesting it's not well understood and well known niche although it's large it's a large business but it's not something that a lot of people are aware of and that's on purpose you know we don't want everybody to come to show to be aware of us but uh i think people are now becoming aware of us hopefully well it's not a regular career path you don't i mean you let me go back to the mid 80s you were a successful keyboard player you went to berkeley college of music yeah. from there you just sort of <laughs> joined the circus i guess yeah. for one part you, yeah. you don't sort of go along this as a career path do you? you just learn to mix and then one thing leads to another doesn't it it's not a regular career path yeah i mean for me i was a musician but i always gravitated towards the i, I would have probably wound up doing this one way or another um whether it was in the studio or live i just think live is more fun uh but um, it's true. It's not like, you know, you don't go to career day at school and there's the, the audio engineer tent, um, table. You know, <laughs> I want to be him. <laughs> no, so everyone's fallen through the cracks, not just in America, but throughout the world. It's, it's yeah. a profession that's not recognized. It's 
you can't go on furlough, you're not getting any benefits, and the everyone's suffering, and they're having to learn to be a barista or do gardening or work for Amazon or do something. Uh, there's a lot of working for Amazon, which is great. It's honest work. Uh, I mean, for me, I will... I, I always thought if there was a downturn in the um, touring industry, I, I and I have done this in the past where I had uh, big gaps in my schedule, I will work as, uh, you know, doing corporate engineering, A1, A2 engineering for, uh, and there's a lot of big companies in Northern California, Apple and Google and Facebook, and, and they, they do hold events, but the, none of those are happening now. So you can't even pivot to, a different sector of, of the event industry. The entire event industry is shut, as you know. I mean, same in England, I'm sure. Yeah, it's, uh, it depends where you go in the world. I mean, there are some events going off in other countries. I mean, New Zealand just had a big gig recently, but they've gone into lockdown mode again as well. So um, it, it's ebbing and flowing at the moment, depending on the virus scale. But California was locked down and it opened up again a little bit too quickly and they opened up a little and yeah that turned out to be too much i guess but uh it's been it's been fairly strictly locked down here compared to some other places for, i saw the east coast was crazy in florida florida open i i mean i don't know i i haven't left the state <laughs> since march so i don't really uh, you know i can't Can you learn you've learned how to make your bed now and cook and do all those other skills that were maybe alien to you before i painted, I painted my house so that's <laughs> we kind of mirror each other there i'd painted mine until i fell off a stepladder and dislocated my shoulder and that's kind of put a stop to that luckily you've been doing this for 30 plus years i mean at the worst comes to the worst you've had a great career doing this but for a young sound engineer it must be the end of the world for them i mean what advice would you give to someone who's say half your age or and starting out and doesn't know what to do at the moment Man, I, I, all I can say is I, I don't know when this is going to end. Uh, my suspicion is it's going to be another a f at least a few months, maybe several months. I mean, the things I'm looking at now are happening next summer. So we're talking about another several months. How you make it through this? I mean, I'm lucky. I had some money in the bank because I had a good few years. So I'm, I'm okay for a few years. Uh, all I can tell you is to use this time to educate yourself and work on, you know, work on your craft uh, so that you come out of this in the end, uh, you know, better educated and, and better practiced. And I know, I know it's not great advice. <laughs> there's no, there's no, uh, there's no magic wand to wave and make this, you know, go away. At least not now. Maybe it will be, but. Well, I feel for yourself as well. I mean, how have you been coping the last few months for yourself, Brad? Yeah. Well, you know, it sucks. <laughs> I, but you always have this Californian cheerful smile. <laughs> <laughs> it's very um, misleading. You should come from Leeds. <laughs> right. Oh, I love Leeds. I, uh, uh, there's a great bar there called Below Stairs, I think it's called. Really good. How anyway, do you know these things? They never let um, you out when you're on tour, surely. Oh, I get yeah, my days off. I have my days off in Leeds. I was, I'm, you know, it's rough. I mean, I think this is, like I said, I'm lucky I had some money in the bank. So thankfully I'm not, I'm not challenged um, in that way yet. Anyway, we'll see how long that lasts. But uh, the, it's it gotta be, it's rough mentally, you know, I think. And I, I'm, I'm sure for everybody that is, you know, 
stuck at home and and really doesn't have uh, any work or an opportunity for work. So I'm just trying to stay busy, you know, uh, finding all with I, we put new carpet in, you know, painted the house, doing some repairs. Uh, we have an office over at Diablo. It's about uh, 20 miles from here. So we go over there a few times a week and spin up some old tracks that we have archived and uh, mess around with mixing and try different things. Greg and I bounce ideas off each other. Um, so that keeps my head in in it, you know, so I'm lucky to have that. It's one extreme yeah. to the other, Brad, though, isn't it? Because when you're on tour and away from home so much, you must be itching to get home sometimes and have some sense of normality. But to get a six, seven-month chunk like this presented to you is uh, probably unprecedented. I think it's not the first time I've had six months off, but I will say it's the first time I've had six months off and really nothing on the horizon, you know. That's so, the worst thing, isn't it? The void, the melancholy. It's it's the it's one thing to know you have a four or five or six month break and then something spinning up, you know. Yeah, we're living in a void. Um very realistic that it could be uh you know a big explosion in the business. I think so. I think the bounce back will be terrific when it does come back again like sports as well going to stadiums again i mean candlestick park will be rocking won't it <laughs> well it's, they knocked that over it's not <laughs> it's, you know, <laughs> oh, it, it isn't like the old days is it like it's like <laughs> passing by there on the way to the airport <laughs> yeah it's gone that was uh wasn't that the beatles last concert was there or something like that i don't know i think that but yeah it's, it's gone we have oracle park now oracle park what's that named after is that the sponsor or yeah oracle's the yeah, the corporate sponsor of the new baseball stadium. It changes every five years. I guess there's no one going to the stadiums at the moment. Um, it's been great that you've been able to sort of keep yourself sane and do a little bit of Diablo and uh, do some things around the house. But until social distancing really stops or the getaway around this can get people back, it, it, even the venues, even with social distancing, they can't make... They can't break even at the moment, can they? Or, or uh, we, we did record a concert in the warehouse. We had a band come in and we set up some lights and we we recorded that. Uh, it's a band called Lovers and Strangers. Mm. And we are going to stream it on a, uh, a platform called Stage It. That their Stage It facilitates like ticket sales and distribution. And I, we we're just sort of taking a flyer to see if that's a viable route for some some uh, revenue or even just something fun to do i i'm at the moment a little skeptical about how much money there is in streaming concerts but uh i mean i think if you can get it you know you can get it on a television network and there's commercials and there's probably money there but it's uh streaming on the internet we'll see like i I'm always skeptical about these things. Like, I hopefully I'm totally wrong. We're, we're human beings and we're social at the end of the day, Brad, aren't we? We miss that interaction. We can't just live in a Zoom room or the end of a streaming chamber forever. It's like we're doing virtual trade shows. It's just, it, it's, it's okay. The, it's a substitute. We can get by, but not forever. We need that not, human interaction. Yeah. In the meantime, it might be it might be something that's entertaining. I think so. I think so. Um, what's inspired you this year? Uh, what has inspired me? That's a really deep question. I think it's really been like if I can be, if I can look at it externally, it's just been a really, it's a really, really interesting 
time to be alive and see all of the social political uh, movements and um, sort of be trapped into paying attention to it, like really paying attention to it. And uh, I don't know if it's inspiring is the right word, but it's, it's, uh, you know, it makes me reflect on, on things. And um, the, there is not, I mean, this is really grim. It's not a lot to be inspired by right now. You know, it's just uh, because there's no, there's no sports. The news is all bad. Uh, you know, there's, if there was, I really enjoyed watching the Eagles concert that they filmed a couple years back. Like I thought that was really well done. You know, we're here just watching Netflix all the time. So I think for some people, music, I think they've gone back to um, really listen to the music and getting involved. I mean, you mix day in, day out when you're on tour and it's the same set more or less every day. And, um, you must must get monotonous for you. I don't know to sort of keep refreshed and do things new. I know you always trying different plugins when you're on the road and trying new things rather than just doing the same old, same old, which is refreshing. But I mean, for me, what's inspired me is just getting deep into the music at times and just remembering. Yeah, I went through. I did actually go. Now that you mentioned, go through a period earlier in the year where I went back to listening to, like, really listening to music. But I'm not, and it's hard to describe this. But when I'm listening to the songs that I'm not, I'm going to be mixing for a client. It's really a different, it's really a different headspace than just putting on a record and closing your eyes and just listening to it. Um, and not picking it apart or analyzing it or trying to figure out how you're going to do it. Just, just kind of taking it in. Uh, and I went, I tried, I made a point to try to listen to because I'm I'm a product of the seventies really. And I got, I can put on a Hendrix record and I'll listen to it all day long or Pink Floyd or whatever, but I really have tried to listen to more, uh, modern music, which I, you know, is good. There's some really, there is really good music out there. <laughs> I was like, I mean, you just have to, I set my, uh, I use Apple music at home on just turn it on and let it go. And, and it has suggestions. And I like just kind of putting that on and then something comes along that I'm surprised by. Uh, and it's like pop radio has always been pop radio. And yeah, you know, most of it's not all that interesting, but every once in a while something comes along and it's like, oh, who's this? This is really good. And uh, well, it must be good to be sort of listening to music rather than getting your head into the space of the artist and trying to work for them every night that's what i mean like i'm just I, when when you're just listening and and not try not listening with an eye towards how am i going to reproduce this or how am i going to make this happen live it is just i'm just going to listen to how to the 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 artistic presentation of the music and and not pick it apart <laughs> 